You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow a side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews. So let's get started. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Jahan Thompson. Jahan is a magazine editor turned entrepreneur out to disrupt the hair care industry. She co-founded the company Swivel Beauty Incorporated, which wants to make it easier for women of color to build a beauty team that meets all their needs while also helping talented stylists behind the chair find new clients. Swivel's goal is to create a curated referral-based experience so women can avoid useless trial and error in the beauty department. Prior to launching Swivel, Jahan was the health editor for O, the Oprah magazine, and she holds a Bachelor of Arts in English from the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Jahan. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here tonight. Of course. So I'd love to, you know, I always like to take it back before we jump into where you are now. Can you tell us a little bit of how your upbringing influenced your entrepreneurial pursuits? Sure. So I grew up in Washington, D.C. Um, I would say I don't know if I've always had the entrepreneurial bug, but I will say that um, growing up, I was always creating little things. So it didn't really matter what it was. I wasn't always trying to sell it, but I always kind of had this I guess, passion to create things that I wanted to exist. So if I didn't see something, I would be like, oh, I can just try to find a way to make it. If I want something to look a certain way and there's nothing out there that I can buy, I'll just create it for myself. So I've always kind of, I think, um, been very much focused on building out what wasn't there. If I wanted something to be there, creating it. And I think that's kind of where, when I look back now, I can say like, okay, well, that makes sense for why I've created Swivel. This was just something I wanted to exist in the world. And I took it upon myself to create it. But I think I've always kind of been that type of person. And my dad also um, runs his own dental practice and has always been an entrepreneur. So I think from that perspective, it's never been strange to me to think of myself as working you know, for myself and going out and being doing something on my own that has always been sort of a part of my family. So it's always been something that I felt like, oh, I could do that. It never felt foreign to me. You mentioned it's always been a part of your family. So tell us a little bit about your background. So you said you grew up in DC. Um, did you but then you went to Philly for school, you went to UPenn. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, so um, I grew up in DC. My father's actually from Jamaica. My mom is from Philadelphia. Um, then I went to Philadelphia to go to Penn for college. And then after college, I went straight up to New York. So I kind of like moved my way up the eastern border on the East Coast um, throughout every kind of different phase. And you majored in English. Why English? And, and what career path did you envision at that time? So I actually started out as a pre-med major, which I guess is not surprising. So many people enter college thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. This is what I'm going to do. And that's what I started out thinking. Like for my first, really my first two and a half years, three years, I thought I was going to be pre-med. Like I took the MCAT. I took all of the science courses. But ultimately, I kind of had a moment where I sat down with myself and said like, you know, are we just doing this because it feels like what's expected? Or are we doing this because you really want to do it? And I realized that it really wasn't my passion and I've always been passionate about writing. 
um, creative writing, journalism. It's just something I did as a child. Like I was always writing little stories. Um, it was just a part of my life. And so I decided to get an internship at a ma- Philadelphia magazine, which is the, um, regional magazine, um, in Philadelphia, but they actually do really great work on like the national scale. So they get a lot of, um, accolades for a lot of the stories that they publish. So I did a internship there the spring of my junior year and I decided I'm going to switch majors. I'm going to major in English. I'm going to try, um, a career in magazine journalism. So it kind of came about a little bit later in my college career. Um, but it ultimately felt like the right decision at the time. Got it. Wow. I didn't know you were pre-med. Yeah. Yeah. And many people do that. (laughs) (laughs) So now you're in New York post undergrad. Did you jump right into the world of magazines and, um, editor and assistant editor? So actually I, so I'd only done one uh, magazine internship. So I did not have the resume that a lot of other kids coming straight out of college had who wanted to work in magazines. I had never worked at a magazine in New York. I was a complete newbie to this whole world, but I had found out from a alum from Penn about something called the Columbia publishing course, which was a six week course that was housed on the campus of Columbia's journalism school. And you learned everything about magazine publishing, book publishing. You met a lot of the influencers in the space, Um, and I did that right after college. So that was like, maybe like I graduated and then three weeks later, I moved to New York and did this course for six weeks. And as a result of doing the course, I got a job, um, at Glamour Magazine helping in their editorial department. So that was my first job out of college. I started that probably that August. So we graduated in May. I started working at Glamour, um, and that August, and that's how I began um, my trajectory in magazines. And then from there, I worked at Marie Claire Magazine, Red Book Magazine, and the last magazine before I left publishing was um, Oprah Magazine. Got it. And now, now has Swivel Beauty, you talked a little bit about it, but when exactly did that start percolating in your mind? And I know you founded it, co-founded it with your childhood friends. So were you guys just always kind of like throwing ideas or just lamenting about the fact that you want this hair care solution? Yeah. So I would say, um, probably three years ago, we really started talking about creating something to fill this void. And I can speak from my side of things is that when I was working, um, at Oprah and at many of the other magazines I worked at, um, a lot of what you're doing is interviewing entrepreneurs. We're always writing about, you know, the next newest, greatest thing. And that's something that somebody has created. It was a brand new product. Every issue was full of brand new products, right? So it was always something that someone felt like should exist in the world and they went out and did it. Um, and then we would write about them. And so I started to do that a lot. Like I was constantly doing, um, I did, I was the health editor when I was at Oprah, but, but prior to that I had been, um, a work in money and a career editor. So I spent a lot of time um, interviewing entrepreneurs and people who had kind of carved out their own careers and their sort of non-traditional career paths. And I'd always found it very fascinating. And so I was starting to see a lot of advancements in the beauty tech space. So whether it was dry bar or a new app or a new gadget, I always was excited. And cause I'm always looking for ways to make my hair care experience easier and more seamless. And I would download them and I would check them out. And then I would always be a little frustrated feeling like, is this for me? You know, will this cater to my hair type? Can I go and expect to have the same results as another woman? And I always felt stopped by that. Like I always felt like there was something that was stopping me from having that great experience that I wanted to have. So, um, I was talking to Jenny one day and we were both kind of lamenting this whole situation. And we both kind of said, let's just do it. Like, let's just try to create something ourselves 
that fills this void in the way that we would want it to look. And at first we were kind of like, this is crazy. Are we really going to do this? <laughs> and then as time went on, it became less of, and as we told people about it, it became less of a, you know, this is just sort of like a harebrained scheme to something that could be real. And so we started to really take it seriously. But it definitely, I think for me, came out of seeing um, what was possible and seeing what entrepreneurs were creating every day and beginning to ask myself, okay, well, why not me? Why wait for somebody else to do it? Why can't I be the one to create this thing that I want to exist in the world? I love that. And I relate to that so much because since creating Side Hustle Pro, I'm so glad I did it because it is mm -hmm. that consistent, like it's like vitamins where it's like, okay, why not me? I can totally do this. Um, so I know that you side hustle. You and Jennifer both side hustled um, before you made, and maybe she, is she still side hustling? <laughs> no, she, um, you guys she, both made this. Yeah, leap. we're both full time. Yeah. All right. But when you were juggling, how did you do it? Like you both had demanding jobs, not traditional either. So how were you making it work? Yeah. Sometimes I look back on that time now and I'm like, how was I making that work? Like, I'm not even sure. But I do think it's one of those things that everybody says is so true that given the number of hours you have in the day, you will make whatever you can make happen. So if you feel like your time's limited, you're still going to do what you can do with that limited amount of time and you just make it work. And at the time we were working mostly nights and weekends in the beginning, probably just weekends. We weren't even doing nights because we both, as you mentioned, have very unpredictable work schedules. Like sometimes when we were getting to ready to send a magazine to the printer, I could be at work until nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Jenny was a corporate lawyer. She could be at work at all hours, you know, all days of the week. So it was pretty unpredictable for us at, in the beginning, I think, to work during the week. But we started meeting on weekends, sketching out what we wanted this to be, really trying to build financial models, figure out like, okay, what's the best way to go about building this business? Um, and so it started as something we did on weekends. And then as we started to really grow the idea, we started having phone calls during the week or meeting up, you know, one or two nights after work. Um, it became the type of thing that you were, we were doing at all odd hours, getting up early in the morning. Um, at one point I was planning my wedding. Oh gosh, I can relate. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it was like three buckets. I was planning my wedding. I was trying to launch swivel and I was still working full time. And I remember in like my planner, I had like three lists that I would just kind of rotate through. Like, uh, what do I need to get done for the wedding this yes. week? What do I need to get done for swivel this week? And then like my daily task for work. And so it just meant kind of like, moving through those and trying to get as much as I could get done every week. And I still look back kind of in complete fascination of how I did it. But I do believe like with the time you have, you just kind of make it work. Yeah. Um, I, need, I need a side conversation with you about that wedding planning, juggling. Oh my gosh. Girl, <laughs> lots of lists. Just lists. list your life oh out. My gosh. Just be like, this month we're going to tackle like these three things for the wedding. Next month I had to get very... Yeah. organized. There was no way. And I read, I read in an article that you were also working at, so when you started developing it, you were working with developers in Vietnam. So you were on like the complete opposite time schedule. Talk a little bit about that. So that was both, I guess, a blessing and a curse. The great thing was that they were waking up and starting to work just as I was getting home from work. So I didn't, there was never any, like, I didn't have to overlap and do swivel at work, which I was never going to do anyway, but it wasn't like they were waiting an extra day for us to get back to them. Like we would email them at night. We would have Skype calls with them late at night to go over different demos, to see how things were working, to discuss the next phase of the product. Um, and so we would do that, you know, between like 10 PM 
and maybe like 1am if we needed to stay up that late and then go to bed while they worked on everything that we had talked about. And then we would spend some time in the morning or right when we got off work, um, looking at everything that they had done from the night before our night, their day. And then we'd start the whole process again the next night. So, and it wasn't every night because sometimes some milestones took a little bit longer, but that ultimately ended up being, I think probably a really great way for us to do it because I don't know how else I would have done it. It would have taken us longer otherwise, because there would always have been, you know, a few days lag time if they were trying to work the same time that we were working at our full-time jobs. And amazing. Like, how did you vet them? How did you find these developers? Sure. So I was, um, we were looking everywhere. Like once we had committed and decided that we were going to start the app, um, and create it, we tried to talk to as many people as we could about figuring out how do you go about finding a developer? And, um, I was in a few different female founders groups on Facebook and had gotten in touch with a few different women who were launching their own development agencies. And so I'd reached out to them. I'd asked to see some of their work and ultimately ended up being just like a gut feeling with the company that we went with just feeling like, okay, they get what we, what we want to do. They have the chops to deliver it. And that's how we found them. But yeah, it was a lot of just vetting, talking to people, telling people what we were looking for and getting connections to people that were doing it. Got it. So, okay. Now you've been side hustling, working with these developers. When did you know that you had an idea worth betting on and that it was time to pursue it full time? So that's such a hard question because I don't think you ever really know. Like, I think I know within myself that I've always believed Swivel was an idea worth betting on, but I don't think there was ever one external kind of validating moment that made me say like, okay, go for it. I think I just had to get to a point where I sort of told myself and Jenny did too. We both told ourselves, you know, either we're going to do this and give it our all or we're going to stop because this is not running a business is not something that you can really do if you're not going to be able to put your all into it. And sometimes you can, depending on the business, but for what we were trying to create, we knew that we would either be super slow and get passed by our competition, or we just would not be able to create the business we wanted to create if we were going to continue working, you know, 10 hour days and then trying to work on this business in what limited free time we had. So I think when we got ready to launch the, when we were, you know, gearing up to launch the app, we knew that this was our time to say like, okay, we've poured all of this blood, sweat, and tears into building this app. Now that now the hard part begins of, you know, selling it to stylists, getting customers to use it. Um, and we felt like we had to kind of put our all into it. Otherwise, what was the point? And I've sort of always said, um, that if somebody else, if we didn't do swivel and somebody else built a similar company, I would use it. Like we really created this because it was solving a pain point we had. And I knew that if we didn't do it and somebody else did it, I would be one super pissed off. But two, <laughs> I would also be like, you know, this was a good idea. And I knew that. And I was too afraid to make the leap and somebody else did it. And then I'd be like, well, I still got to get my hair done. So <laughs> here I am using this other person's app. But um, ultimately, we just felt like we had to do it. We had to give it 100 percent. I love it. And that, yeah, that's definitely a good sign when you know for sure that it's solving a problem and you would use it. Um, so we're going to get to, you know, the working with buy with stylists and customers in a second, but I do want to know, how did you financially prepare for this leap now? Um, did it, was it a gradual? I know you still do some freelancing. T- talk us through that process. So yes, I still do freelance writing. Um, so about a year before I left my job, I had been saving pretty aggressively and had always been saving aggressively, but I was now saving with the idea of like, okay, how many months could I live on this savings? Should I quit my job and want to work on this business full time? 
Um, and so I did a lot of that. I started plotting out like, okay, how much money do I need to have saved? How many months could this take me through? And then, you know, for me, thankfully being able to freelance is a huge way to make, um, side income. So in many ways I'm still side hustling. (laughs) I'm just side hustling in the other direction now. So now freelance is my side hustle while swivel is my full-time job. But, um, it's a godsend. And having worked in the industry for nearly a decade, it's been easy to kind of have the relationships with editors to say like, hey, I would love to write a story for you and then get assigned a lot of work. So enough work that helps me feel not completely crazed by the fact that I'm, you know, I've left a job with a steady paycheck, but um, just enough that I still can devote most of my time to swivel. Got it. And so now let's get into what were some of the first steps you and Jenny took to take Swivel from idea to business? So I would say the first step for anyone and definitely the first step for us was all mental. Like it was all us telling ourselves, this is not a hobby. This is a business. We are agreeing that this is a business and we are going to go full steam ahead to make this the best business possible. And I think kind of once you get over that hurdle, which is a huge mountain of a hurdle, I think at times everything else is just logistical. Like you can figure out the other steps. We are not the first people to create an app. So there were lots of things we could read and research and people we could talk to and mentors we could lean on to build up the logistics of, you know, finding the developers, wireframing our app. So we knew exactly what we wanted each page to look like and how the customer would flow through the experience, figuring out how to set up our legal and tax structure, you know, deciding how we build out our team and who we bring on board. Like those are things that I think Logistically, they all need to happen and they all, you kind of have to figure out and prioritize which one you do when. But I will say that for us, I think getting over that hurdle of saying we're going to do this as a business was the thing that catapulted us to the next. I really think to getting this going, to going from idea to business, because I would say, and we laugh about this now, but like the first year we were having all of these brainstorming sessions and we were meeting up for brunch to talk about the business and like, you know, white taking a whiteboard and like writing all of our ideas. And then after months, we were like, okay, we still haven't actually gotten anywhere. (laughs) Like we have not progressed this one step. We've talked a lot about it. We've told all these people we're going to start a business. We have not actually gotten to that first step. So the, really the first step for us was sending out a survey to over 200 people saying, you know, where do you get your hair done? Who's your favorite hairstylist? What, you know, annoys you about your hair care routine right now and getting that data to help us figure out, okay. And that was before we even started finding a developer and building an app. Like that was really the first step of validating that there was a market for this, that this wasn't, even though we knew that this wasn't just our issue, that we knew that so many black women had the same issue we did with finding um, talented hairstylists, whether their hair was natural or relaxed. Um, we needed to do that. We needed to do that validation work. And so we did that first. And once we did that, it really kind of helped us say like, okay, We've got this, we've got these benchmarks, we have this data, now we can move into creating a product. And we went, I'll just share one other story. We went to, um, the founders of Rent the Runway started this great organization called Project Entrepreneur, and we went to their first summit in New York City um, in the fall of 2015. And that was our first time really being in a room with a bunch of other, both aspiring female founders and founders who had already done it and created their own businesses. And I think we kind of walked away from that feeling like, all right, like no more bullshit. Like we're really (laughs) going to do this and we're going to sit down and figure out what steps we need to take to get this from an idea on some paper to an actual product in the Apple store. And so by August of 2016, we launched the app was live in the Apple store. 
Oh, I love that. And it's funny, I had that down as a bullet, the rent the runway. So I'm so glad you brought that up. I was reading about that too. And I also like that you mentioned that you validated your idea. I think it's such an important step that many of us skip. We're all guilty of doing it with one idea or the other. Um, especially when we think we're the target market. We think that we can just use whatever is in our head, whatever is our preference and create a whole thing, a whole product over that. And that's just that just not going to work. That's not a model for success. You need to validate your assumptions. Definitely. And because even though both Jenny and I are our target market, we have our own blind spots for things that we haven't considered that some of our other customers have told us is important to them. So we had to get out there and talk to people and see also like, okay, how much are you spending on a blowout? How much are you willing to spend on extensions or braids or you know, a silk press, like we really had to get out and really kind of talk to our customer about everything. So we understood what their needs were and not just what our needs were. Right. And before we get into deeper into the process of building the brand, I'd like to pause here and just talk a little bit about what Swivel exactly does. So for people who haven't downloaded it yet, um, walk us through, first of all, what it does now and has that changed since you first launched it? Like, have you added new things based on the customer feedback? So what Swivel does is it's an app that helps you find a hairstylist or hair salon based on what service you're looking for and your hair type and texture. So you can go on the app and say, you know, I am naturally curly. I'm looking for a silk press. And right now we're just in New York City, but ultimately you'd be able to choose from different cities and say where you're located. And then what will come up will be a list of salons, curated, vetted salons based on the service that you're looking for. So you would go and say, okay, these places I know can do the service I need. So whether it's braids or whether you have locks and you're looking you know, to get a retwist, you can put in those criteria and then all you will see populated is a list of the salons that can do the service and have been vetted by the Swivel team. And we also have a review platform so you can read reviews from other women and then go ahead and book an appointment straight through the app. Love it. And I love that Swivel gets right to the meat. Like we as women have tried different things, Google, Yelp, and like you have to like basically dig through so much noise to get any information. So this gives you, you know, exactly what you need, exactly what we're looking for as women anyway. Like, can you do my twist out and how much do you charge? And is it good? Exactly. Exactly. That's like, it, we really wanted to, exactly, because we felt like, and we've all been there, right? You move to a new city, you don't know where to get your hair done, or you just see a woman on the street whose hair looks so amazing, and you go up to her and say, like, who does your hair? And, like, you feel a little crazy doing it, but, you know, it's that important that you're going to make that outreach. And what we've always wanted to do was kind of bring that word of mouth online. Mm-hmm. So the way you might walk up to a woman, now you can just click over to the Swivel app and see, okay, where are women getting like the best twist outs in New York City? And then you can go ahead and book an appointment straight from your phone and have all of that information at your fingertips. Yep. So now let's get back to, you know, going from idea to business. What was your strategy for getting buy-in from stylists and hairdressers? I know that that business model already has a structure in which like the salon owners, they're taking a percentage of the stylists um, who have a chair in their salon. They're taking a percentage of that earning. So how did you get that buy-in? So we really started just on the street. So we would go and walk into different salons. We'd call different stylists if they were, you know, mobile stylists and say like, Hey, can we meet with you? 
And we would just do a lot of walk-ins and say, you know, we're building this app. At this point, we had a demo. So this was before we launched, but we had a demo of the app and we would take it to different salons and stylists and say like, listen, this is what we've created. We want to help you keep your chair filled more often. Um, We want to bring you more clients in this, in a very seamless tech way. And almost every stylist we talked to understood what we were doing immediately and was eager to be on board because in some cases they had been approached by other apps, but they had felt like that app's not really catering to my clientele. They're not going to be able to bring me women of color who are actually looking for my services. So when they heard about us, they were like, this is great. There's nothing else out there like this. That's really catering to our clientele. So we definitely want to be on board. Like when does it launch? This was probably some of the easiest, I would say selling that we had to do because they immediately saw the value and what we were creating um, for them. Oh, awesome. And so it's funny because you have like this B2B business to business and business to customer component of selling and buying. And then when it came time to target the customers, how did you know who your target audience was and where to find them? Because we know black women are not, you know, all the same and you really had to hone in a little bit deeper. Definitely. So, and I think that's one of the things we've always been unapologetic about in our product is that black women aren't all the same and we don't have all of the same hair care needs either. And that's okay. And we want to make it easy, whether your hair's, you know, naturally kinky, naturally curly, whether you're relaxed, whether you're transitioning from a relaxer to your natural hair that we can help you. And so one of the things that differentiates our product from anything else out there is that you can actually go in and select your hair type before you even start looking for salons or stylists. So we're always saying like, everybody's not the same here. Like I wouldn't, I would, when we started the app, I was relaxed. I'm now transitioning to natural, but I'm Jenny's natural. So like there was a point where we'd never ask each other for stylist recommendations <laughs> and there was nothing wrong with that. Like we just were in completely different places with our hair care and needed different types of professionals. So for us, when we started going out and talking to customers, it was really always about being super honest about that. And, and I think people liked that and they would say like, oh, this is so great because I've asked my friends for recommendations, but you know, they haven't, they're, what they're looking for isn't what I'm looking for. So this was something that really helped us connect with customers from the very beginning because we had listened to what they wanted and built it into the product. Got it. Now, what's been your approach, speaking of target audience, what's been your broader approach to marketing in general and building awareness of Swivel Beauty? Have you, you know, worked with prominent stylists or just tap social media influencers? We definitely work with prominent stylists. We have so many great um, styles on the platform now. Um, everyone from Anthony Dickey, who is the founder of Hair Rules, to um, Carla and Vicky at Styles Beauty Lounge, who have a large celebrity clientele as well, um, to Ursula Stevens Salon in Brooklyn. You know, she's um, most known for doing Rihanna's bob cut um, and always kind of creating these really iconic styles. So getting some really top players. And I'm, I know I'm forgetting others, but there are so many amazing stylists on our platform that have, um, that make it easy for us to market it to our customers. Um, and then also, you know, Instagram has been really big for us, as you know, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> um, even just beyond like the way hair care is talked about and shared on Instagram is like its own world. Like it has kind of recreated how stylists share their portfolios, how women find new hairstyles that they love and want to try. Um, that has been a place where we put a lot of emphasis because we know that women are going there now, um, so much for hair inspiration, um, maybe more than I think any of us could have imagined when Instagram first started, but that has definitely become, I think a huge avenue for, um, stylists to get noticed for customers to find looks and then wanting to say like, okay, who can create this? I found this great style, but like now I need to figure out 
who can create that for me, you know, in my city. And you guys have also had some really great press. Are you your own PR person? Like, how does that work? Like landing in the New York Times? Yeah, so I am in many ways my own PR person. But luckily, <laughs> my I will get I will get um, in trouble if I don't mention that my husband is also um, he works in PR and okay. is amazing at PR, and so he has been extremely helpful in you know, figuring out where we should be um, putting our press efforts right now and making sure that we're getting the message out and that people know what we're really all about. So between, you know, his expertise in the field and then my connections, having worked in um, the women's lifestyle space um, journalism for so long, um, it's kind of helped us really get noticed. But then also, you know, it's kind of funny. Some of our of our biggest presses haven't even come from my connections in the media world. People hear about us from one piece like the very first hit we got was um, in both Yahoo Beauty and Lenny Letter both um, came out this past summer, right mm-hmm. around the time that we launched. And they were two amazing pieces. And then people started seeing those and then saying, oh, I want to hear more about this or I want to try this out. So it's been quite an amazing ripple effect. And of oh, course, nice. being in the New York Times in December, um, nothing really beats that. Um, that was pretty <laughs> surreal for us to have um, such a great profile done on the business and what we're trying to create. And that has, um, we've just seen so much rapid growth since that article. Got it. And I, I want to make sure the audience knows that this hasn't just been like this straight shot to success. I think sometimes, especially given our time limits with these interviews, it seems like you didn't face any challenges. But can you talk a little bit about the challenges that you guys have overcome thus far in the process? Oh my gosh. Yes. We have definitely faced challenges. And I'm so glad you asked that question because I, I'm like addicted to reading founder stories and, but I hate when they don't include like, okay, this was actually really tough. Like (laughs) it wasn't that simple and it wasn't for us. I mean, there were so many, even just developing the app alone, everything that people say is true. It takes twice as long as you think it's going to you. We kept pushing our launch date back and back and back. We thought it was going to be the beginning of last summer. So we really wanted to capitalize on, you know, the summertime and women getting their hair done more. And we ultimately didn't launch to August. And I remember every week we pushed it back was like a dagger to my heart. I was like, no, we just have to get this product (laughs) out there. But ultimately it was, you know, the right thing to do. And we wanted to put out a product that we were proud of. Um, but that's really hard. I mean, you just, you kind of see time going by and you're like every minute you feel like competition's gaining on your heels, even if it's not, even if it's not true, it just feels that way. Um, I would say, and then launching was pretty hard because you put the app in the Apple store and then you're kind of like, Oh, this is actually my real starting line. Like I am now at the beginning of building this business of getting people to care of getting people to buy in and use the product. Um, I remember the first month, you know, we were getting bookings, but I just was like, what? Like, we're not getting more? Like, more?" (laughs) and I remember calling a friend who had launched her own business and just telling her like, gosh, I'm so frustrated right now. Like I need to crack this code to explosive growth in month one. And she was basically like, calm down. No, you don't. (laughs) Like, and she told me her story of how, you know, what they went through to get the kind of growth and eventually be acquired, um, as a company. And so, for me, there were definitely those challenging moments of wondering like, okay, how are we going to grow? Like, how are we going to get more and more users? And we people have really taken to the product in so many amazing ways. And we constantly have seen a rapid uptick in growth month over month, which I'm so incredibly um, just humbled by. But I do think, you know, there are those hard moments when you say to yourself, okay, how are we going to 
what are we going to try? Are we going to try a different Instagram ad? Are we going to try another live event? Like, how are we going to pay for that live event that we're going to do? And how are we going to pay for these Instagram ads? And constantly thinking about those things while also juggling, like, as we talked about in the beginning, I'm still freelancing. Like, I'm still trying to bring money in because I still need to eat. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband's wonderful, but, you know, when he met me and we got married, I had a full-time job. So (laughs) I still have other, you know, responsibilities. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Like I think some people act like, oh, I can just go do my business full-time. And it's like, no, you still got to pay rent. You still like have so many responsibilities that I think can add to that anxiety and anxiousness of when you're launching your business being like, okay, I need this to work, but also there are all of these other things I have to think about at exactly the same time. Um, that can be a struggle and can be really hard to manage both. And I think I'm still figuring out, you know, how to best manage my time, how to stave off burnout. Um, all of those things I don't think come easy. And they're all, I think, part of the struggle of launching your own company. Absolutely. And you also raise an important point that sometimes, especially in our social media world, we see success, outward success. We see, oh, they're in the New York Times. They must be like balling. You know, you just <laughs> equate these these titles and these press clips with instant success or or even um you put dollar figures. You count other people's money basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that's not always the case. That doesn't mean it's not successful. You need you need to do, you know, they need to go hand in hand, but at the same time, you still are hitting the ground grinding to get actual um, acquisitions because app acquisitions in and of itself is hard. And then to actually get them to reopen, use the platform, become recurring users. Um, talk a little bit about that strategy. Like, how are you uh, moving beyond first opens to really engage users to come back? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that we're still, you know, we haven't nailed it. I won't, I won't say that we have, but um, it's still something we're figuring out and talking. And what we do a lot is talk to our customers, to be honest, and ask them, you know, hey, you came and downloaded the app, you checked it out, you didn't book an appointment. Like, why not? How can we help make this process easier for you? What's missing from the experience that you wish was was there? Um, we read a lot of stuff before we launched the business about how important. Um, getting user feedback is and not being afraid of it and just saying, you know, tell me what you hate about the product. Tell me what you love. Tell me what, you know, caused you to pick this stylist over another stylist. Um, You know, those are the types of questions that we're constantly asking our users so that we can create a better experience for them and figure out how do we drive more of them into um, our funnel and really using our product. And it's been fascinating. I mean, I love, it's probably one of my favorite things to do is talk to our customers because I learn something new from them every single conversation, what they're looking for, what their needs are. Um, you can't assume, as we talked about before, you can't assume any of that. And people come with a variety of different um, pain points to why they why they downloaded Swivel, why they chose to use it, who they chose to book with, um, that I'm forever amazed by that. And I love doing that because I just feel like we learned so much about how we're going to grow our business. Got it. And before we get into the lightning round, I did want to talk a bit about monetization, but more so about the business model or, you know, your structure. Is it paid app and then ads or percentage of bookings? Like, how do you think about that? And then maybe expanding on your plans for the future? Sure. So um, our app is free for anyone to download. Um, we're just on iOS now, but we are working on um, 
being able to be available for Android users as well. Um, but the app is free completely to customers. We have a partnership with our salons and stylists that we work with them to kind of figure out what the right model is to um, drive revenue for the business. And when it comes to expansion, we are really focused on, you know, launching in other markets in 2017. We're still figuring out which markets those are. We've gotten a ton of requests all across the country of people saying, you know, when is Swivel going to come here? When is Swivel going to come to my town? Or we need you over here. Um, but we're still very much in the process um, of figuring out what those markets are going to be for 2017. But we are so excited to bring this product to other cities and other um, markets. Yes. Um, let me just put in a plug right here for DC because I have yet <laughs> to find a natural hairstylist I like. So please keep that in we mind. We got you. We got you. And that's Jenny and I are both from DC, as okay. I mentioned. So Perfect. like it's, you know, it's close to our heart. It's definitely close to our heart. So we got you. Yay. All right. So we're going to jump into the lightning round. You know the deal. You just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Truth be told, it's not all that lightning, but we're going to keep the name. <laughs> so are you ready? Yes, I am totally ready. Okay. Number one, what's an online resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Airtable. That's the first one that comes to mind. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No, they I'm not. Are, um, wait, are you familiar with them? I'm not. I'm not. Okay. They are a, um, like... They're like an organ. They're like almost like a spreadsheet on steroids. Like they're just an amazing way to categorize information, no matter what you're trying to sort. So we use it a lot for keeping track of all of our stylist partners. We use it to keep track of all of our um, like important documents for the business, so that if I need to, you know, get a handle, get a hold of a document that Jenny might have had, she uploads it there. We can see all of our information. We can keep track of things there. It's it's just great because it's not only a spreadsheet, but you can upload pictures to it. You can upload documents to it. So each row can have lots of different types of information coded into a different cell. Um, so it does that amazing work. And then I can also use it. It has like a whole separate function if I use it for my freelance work. So it's where I track like which stories I'm doing, when they're due, how much money I'm going to get paid and when. Um, so I kind of have my different sides of my business both in the same place, which makes it really easy to kind of move between the two. Like, okay, I've got my freelance portal over here. I've got all of my documents for Swivel over here and I can access it on my phone. Um, you know, it's in the cloud. So I have found it. We, I don't know how we stumbled upon it out of all of the different um, management tools that are out there, but it has been, it's the one that stuck for us. It's been incredibly helpful. Oh, wow. I will look into it and also link to it in the show notes at sidehustlepro.co. Alrighty. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? This year. Oh, that's a tough one. Cause I re and when you first started the question, I was going to immediately say the lean startup. Um, I know everyone probably re references that book, but that book was so life changing for me when I first read it. Um, because it kind of goes through everything you think about starting a business and then tells you like why everything you're thinking is wrong and the right way to think about starting a company. Like I remember reading it and stopping and being like, Oh my gosh, this person is in my head. Like I had all of these ideas and I was just about to lead myself down the completely <laughs> wrong path. And then for a second book, um, this is actually from this year. It hasn't come out yet, but I was able to get an advanced copy of it. It's called the transformational consumer. It's by Tara Nicole Nelson. She used to be um, the VP of marketing at my fitness pal. Oh, she is like yeah, such a powerhouse. Yeah. She's amazing. She has a book coming out this March. I read it and it is so good. And there's so many, I mean, there's one chapter on competition that totally stuck out to me because 
that's something everybody thinks about, like, how do you deal with it? How do you actually, and sometimes in, in what she kind of gets to in that chapter is that what you think of as your competition probably isn't. And the thing that you're not looking at probably is, and it just totally re made me kind of rethink how I was thinking about things. And it also makes you rethink how you approach your customers and how you market to them. Um, it's so good. I think everyone should read it when it comes oh, out. I love the sound of that, especially you're so right. Like we're often thinking about the competition, uh, quote unquote, that looks exactly like us and not the thing that's like could launch this other article, uh, vertical. So yeah, love that. I got to check that out. Number three, who inspires you and why? Mm, these are good lightning round questions. Okay. So I'll be fast. I will say right now, I mean, there's so many people that inspire me, but I would say right now, other female founders, I, like I told you before, am just addicted to reading founder stories. And I get so much inspiration from seeing how women have created the world they wanted to exist. So whether that's Jessica Matthews from Uncharted Play, Morgan Debon from Blavity, Emily Weiss with Glossier, like all of these brands that I see people creating and just building into juggernauts so quickly, I'm constantly like, just like, consuming anything that they say and like how they did it, how they got where they are, what challenges they faced. Um, I've just been inspired by so many female founders this year. Yeah, me too. Me too, as you can probably tell. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Ooh, a personal habit. Um, well, see, I already said that I'm still working on getting my like time management together. <laughs> I would say, well, the one thing that I always go back to for myself is that I can outwork anyone. Mm. I'm incredibly persistent. And I think that that's something when I'm feeling overwhelmed, or overloaded, or just like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I go back to that and say, yes, you can. Like you can, you keep putting in the work because this is when somebody else would give up and you're not that person. And when I was in college, my dad sent me this great Calvin Coolidge quote. Um, I can send you the whole thing later, but mm -hmm. it basically like the first line is nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. So like not talent, not genius, that the people that excel are the ones that are the most persistent. And I always go back to that quote because it is so true that as long as you stick with it, they're like everything else is going to fall away, right? Like you just have to be incredibly persistent and hardworking. And so I just kind of always kind of tell myself that. It's not always a great quality because it can definitely lead to burnout, but <laughs> I, that is one thing that I kind of tell myself to keep going. Yes. Such an important reminder. I do love that quote as well. And finally, number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? Just do it. And I hate to like be like quoting Nike and like being super cliche, but I will say that that has been, and I wonder if you say the same thing about Side Hustle Pro, but like just going out and doing it, plan for it, save for it, and then just get started. Because I can tell you a hundred times over, you will regret not doing it more than you will regret taking the leap. Like if you do it, you're never going to look back and be like, oh, I should have stayed at my job that I hated, but I was just doing it because they paid me every two weeks. Like <laughs> that's not going to happen. Even yeah. if you're, we know so many businesses fail, even if your business does fail, you're never going to regret having the experience of trying, of creating something for yourself. Like I think that my advice to other women would just be that, like, don't hold yourself back. I think so many times where we tell ourselves or talk ourselves out of doing something because we feel like, oh, I can't do that. Who am I to like give up this steady job? But like, who are you not to? Who are you not to get out here and create the world you want to see exist? And do it now. Like, don't wait because the longer you wait, the less likely you are to do it. And the more likely somebody else is going to do it before you. 
Hello. (laughs) I think that's an awesome note to end on. But before we part, uh, what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode? So you can go to swivelbeauty.com and we have a contact us button. So you can get in touch with me or my co-founder right there through the website. While you're there, you can also, there's a link to download the app if you want to check out the app. Um, But yeah, there's a contact button and you can get in touch with me that way. Swivelbeauty.com. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today, Jahan. Thanks for having me. Of course. And there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.